Hello and welcome to this latest episode in our Business and Human Rights podcast series. My name is David Thomas and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague Rebecca Burton and we are both members of Linknator's litigation, arbitration and investigations practice here in London. Thanks David. Hello everyone. So today we are going to be discussing the latest trends in claims against multinational companies in connection with human rights and or environmental impact abroad. Um, but for listeners who may not be familiar with that subject matter, perhaps I suggest we start by maybe just outlining what these claims are and why they attract so much interest. Yes, yeah, certainly. So in broad terms, these are claims against the parent companies of large multinational corporate groups in relation to environmental or human rights impacts that have happened overseas, uh, allegedly as a result of the group's operations in that jurisdiction. And typically, but not always, these are claims of negligence. Uh, so the claimants are seeking to establish that the parent company owed them a duty of care and breached that duty of care, resulting in environmental or human rights harms. And there are many factors that combine to make these claims quite high profile. So, for example, the subject matter of this litigation is often of public interest. These claims are frequently brought at scale. So you may have thousands or even hundreds of thousands of claimants. And the claims often raise difficult legal issues in areas of the law that are evolving. So the approach taken by the courts in these cases is often of wider interest to the market. Thanks, David. And in the UK, before we get on to recent trends, there were two key judgments of the Supreme Court um, in relatively quick succession uh, that I think was worth touching on now because they were seen by many as opening the door to those exact type of claims you've described. The first of those was the Vedanta decision and the second was Okpabi. Uh, both were judgments given in the context of interim jurisdictional challenges. So there was no sort of final determination of liability. Uh, but the clear message from both of those cases was that that duty of care that you mentioned could certainly arise between a parent company and people impacted by that company's subsidiary operations overseas uh, and that was all going to depend on the extent to which and the way in which the parent company used its position to take over intervene in control supervise or sort of ad advise the subsidiary entity now, the Vedanta decision was delivered in 2019. Uh, Okpabi was early 2021. Um, and so, David, how do we think these cases have progressed and, and more generally, how has the landscape evolved since then? Yeah, well, the Vedanta case subsequently settled and Okpabi is still working its way through the court. So uh, there still has not been any uh, final determination of whether or not a duty of care was uh, in fact owed to the claimants in either of those cases. The Okpabi case did provide another interesting judgment in May of last year as the parties sought to determine how the court should manage those proceedings. And there were perhaps a few cautionary notes for claimants in that judgment as the court emphasised that there are certain procedural and evidential requirements that still need to be met even in these very large complex cases. Um, in January and February of this year, there were interesting judgments on preliminary issues in two other cases concerning uh, oil spills in Colombia and the Niger Delta. One of those decisions went the claimant's way, the other for the defendants. But no doubt the most significant case uh, has been the Mariana Dam case. Uh, that's the largest ever mass tort claim before the English courts with around 700,000 claimants and arises as a result of the collapse of a dam in Brazil in 2015. And the claim was originally struck out by the English High Court on, amongst others, abusive process grounds. 
But that decision was then overturned last year by the Court of Appeal. Uh, and this summer, the Supreme Court refused to hear an appeal of that decision. So the case is now all set to proceed. So there are a number of these cases working their way through the English courts. And of course, the judgments in those cases will all be fact specific. But nevertheless, I think this line of cases will be perceived by many as demonstrating that the English courts are willing to hear these claims and willing to grapple with the significant challenges that they can present. And that in and of itself may well encourage more of these claims to be commenced in England. Uh, the other trend that's worth drawing out, though, is that we have seen a real persistence and real imagination from claimants in driving forward these environmental and human rights claims. And perhaps, Rebecca, that's something you could expand on. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely been looking at these quite closely. Um, whilst those standard parent company liability claims uh, that you were just mentioning, you know, they are still making their way through the courts. And as you say, we haven't had any sort of final liability decision on any of them. But at the same time, we're seeing those same legal principles that we see in those cases being used in slightly different contexts uh, where the person or the company who is alleged to be directly responsible for the harm that has happened is not in fact connected to the defendant of the claim by a simple chain of corporate ownership. So that's different to those kind of claims where you have an ultimate parent company uh, where you seek to find them liable for events connected to their corporate subsidiary. So firstly, we're seeing claims which relate to alleged harms in a company's supply chain or what we might call the value chain. Uh, large corporations, of course, often engage third party suppliers or other vendors to provide services to them. And we are seeing cases being brought against corporations in connection with alleged harms that are occurring in their operations of those third party suppliers. And those claims are advancing similar duty of care arguments to the ones we've been discussing, as well as other arguments such as unjust enrichment um, because of benefiting from a cheaper supply chain, for example, because that supply chain hasn't complied with necessary standards. And um, secondly, and slightly separately, there's also a potential new trend of claims being brought where there are concerns that a certification or auditing scheme is being used to effectively greenwash um, human rights abuses. So last year, uh, a claim was brought against the London Bullion Market Association. Um, that's an organisation which verifies and certifies gold uh, that's produced at certain mines. And the claim alleges that the association owes a duty of care to small scale miners on the ground at a mine in Tanzania to ensure that they are not subject to human rights abuses. Uh, and it, the claim also alleges that the association has breached that duty um, by certifying a refiner who refines gold from that mine as a good delivery refiner and thereby suggesting that the gold has been responsibly sourced. That claim is still at a very early stage, so there's been no determination of liability there either. It'll be very interesting to see where that claim goes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, so that's probably all we've got time for today, but I hope that overview has been helpful to listeners. And um, from me, thank you very much for joining. Yes, thank you from me too. Uh, of course, please do reach out to either one of us if anyone listening has questions that you'd like to discuss. Mm -hmm.